My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of Legally Clueless. Can you imagine that we are 10 episodes away from episode 100? Isn't that hectic? Did you think we would get there? (laughs) I really didn't. Not to say that I have self-doubt, but I mean, just go and listen to episode one. Eh, that chick. That chick was struggling. It's so beautiful to have grown as an individual and with you on this podcast. So I'm really thankful that you listen. If this is your first episode, welcome, welcome. Join the InstaFam at Legally Clueless Podcast. If you prefer Twitter and you're chit-chatting about the podcast, I'd love to eavesdrop, but I can only do that if you use the hashtag Legally Clueless. So a bit of a disclaimer, but this is good noise in my neighborhood. I've woken up earlier than usual to record this. And I've caught the birds chirping like crazy. It's so beautiful, yet so irritating. (laughs) Because I'm like, is it sipping into the podcast? I'm not sure. But it just, it's such a beautiful, I don't know if I'm sounding a bit hippie-ish, but it's such a beautiful sound to wake up to. It's it's like squads of birds with different sounds. I don't know if there's a battle going on. (laughs) Maybe I'm Hukuchini saying it's so beautiful and up there it's tense. Anyway, moving away from that, this episode, I'm so proud of it because there's two concrete things that are so wonderful. The first, obviously, being 100 African Stories, which is going to come up a little later in this episode. Listen to this. When I was in high school, I was seriously in a relationship. The results did not go well, but for her, it worked well. Got the grades to go to uni, and I was nowhere, anywhere close to a uni grade. After going to uni, you you know, the communication started to break down. You know, I would call, she would not call back. So when I got to the school, she was waiting for me. She said, you know, I think we are in different levels in life. I don't think that we can continue having a relationship. And I have a boyfriend. So she took me like, I, I want to introduce you to my boyfriend. And that is why I even invited you so that you can know each other. But don't worry, I have plans for you too. Boyfriend was a, was a basketballer, you know. So he introduced us, hey, oh, my ex-boyfriend and my boyfriend, my aunt said, you know, Billion, we've been thinking about you. At some point, I've been thinking of even organizing a woman here and sending her to Nairobi so that you can have somebody. She was like, you know, even if you bring us a man, we will help you to love. Sisi, that's the story by billion and it's coming up a little later in this episode as well as something special that's kind of new but not new but i will explain all of that as we go along so i think you can tell from my voice that i'm super excited i think it's because we are 26 days away from christmas as of now which is the 29th of november obviously next week is christmas and i just Okay, not Christmas. Next week is December. But December is basically Christmas, the whole month. (laughs) And even if we have this curfew that's extended until what? After New Year's, at least in Kenya? I don't know. I still get very happy during Christmas. I get happy because I get to spend time with my sisters. Not to say that we don't spend time other days, but it's magical when we're together. It's a time where we have so many good memories from my mom because my late mom loved Christmas. I guess that's why we all do so our christmas trees (laughs) in all of my sister's houses are up mine's up as well if you are in nairobi and you're big about christmas like me you may want to check out carrefour supermarkets 
because they have really good Christmas decorations, but they sell out so quickly. I know the, the decorations were unveiled, well, not unveiled, put out on the shelves like last week, but one. So they've been out for two weeks. So already things have gone down Kidogo. So <laughs> don't ask me how I know the schedule of everything. I'm big about Christmas. So that's probably why I'm very excited. I don't want to take up too much time because we have two key things in this episode that I want us to jump into. So first, I just want to go into the song of the week, which I realized for the last couple of episodes, I have (laughs) run this like a monopoly. I've just been sharing only my songs and not giving you a chance to recommend songs that we should check out. So I was going through the Legally Clueless hotline number and I came across this. I'd suggest you listen to this song. It's called My Makala, Makala Yes, by Melinda the Vocalist. He's South African. It is such a vibe. Yeah, so make sure you check out that song. I just did and it's so nice, especially if you like a lot of like South African house music. But there's something about the chorus that has a very distinct type of harmony that you don't hear often in songs that's really soothing so check it out i've put a link to the song in the description of this episode because if you try to type out the name for yourself you're probably going to misspell it (laughs) like i did but away from the song of the week the first thing we're going to get into in this episode has been done before i mean the episodes in the past where i've had like my best friend Val come on and we just talk about friendship or therapy or you know pursuing our passions as our careers and not making money from them even when I'd have conversations that were as cool as the ones I've had with Val and I think I've had the same conversations on an episode with Linda Nyangueso as well I would be like this is such a good convo I would really love to be able to share it with my podcast fam but I was like, where would I put it in the episode? Like, what would it, would it make sense for you? Or would you just feel like I've lost my mind? Or would you feel a bit thrown off? And so this particular convo you're going to hear, I recorded it some time back. But I didn't know how to kind of fit it into the podcast, if that makes sense. Until I realized, wait, I want this to be a space where I can just be real raw and be very reflective is that the word reflective of where I am at that present moment it didn't have to be as stifling as traditional radio things can be added whenever they need to be added so last week but one I'm brushing my teeth (laughs) and I get this profound thought I'm being sarcastic I just was like wait they are random conversations so why not just call them random convos whenever you feel like dropping a random convo in an episode drop it and then also have an 100 African story so you get like a double treat (laughs) and the random conversation is with Eric Underwood I met Eric in 2018 when I was doing a campaign with Johnny Walker. The campaign entailed me going to Monaco, which was just so wonderful, to watch Formula One, even though I... I'm probably the last person who needed to have been taken to watch Formula One because I did not understand a damn thing other than where's Lewis Hamilton? (laughs) And can we get a hug? (laughs) It was such a beautiful trip. Oh my word, I can't even tell you. And you know, it came at a time when I was so stressed at work. I was still at Kiss by that time. I was in the thick of just being super frustrated with my job. And then the Monaco trip came a week before me going to Scotland 
Edinburgh for my good friend's wedding. So I had like a two week or a week and a half stretch of just taking a break from Nairobi, taking a break from all the things that were stressing me and being in a space where there's no expectations, nobody knows you and you can just breathe. I met Eric after a full day of activity. We had this party on a yacht and it was amazing. Ah, the DJ was so fantastic and it was the setup where there was a DJ but there was also this band like a live band with horns and drums and they were so cute oh my god <laughs> they were so cute <laughs> and you know I was recording everything that was happening in Monaco because I needed to put out a video that was one of the deliverables I had for the client but I remember when <laughs> One video that I took during this party, like when this band came on, I had like zoomed into one guy's bicep. <laughs> and I was just like, Adele, control your hormones. First, it was a private Johnny Walker party. And then before we knew it, like everybody in that area had come onto this yacht for this party. And so I had met Eric at the party and we really hit it off. He's such good energy. We talked about Africa. We danced a lot. Eric is a dancer. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> at the time, I didn't know it that he's a ballet dancer, but we danced a lot. So we took a picture and then we swapped Insta handles. And then when I went back to the hotel, because we swapped handles so that I could tag him. So when I went back to the hotel where the Wi-Fi was that evening, actually <laughs> not that evening, the next day is when I did this. I tagged him and then I was like going through his profile. I'm like, who's this person that I met? And then I'm just seeing a lot of ballet, like really, really good clips of him dancing I'm like he's really talented and selfies I remember this one selfie he doesn't even know this because I was like who is this guy that I met it was a selfie with Naomi Campbell it's like hiya <laughs> what's happening Eric and because I posted the photo and tagged him my good friend Sunny Dollard he was like oh my god you were with Eric Underwood what so we kept in touch via Instagram all of these years, we were chatting and he was like, I'd really love to be on the podcast. And I was like, I would love to have you on the podcast. So we had such a beautiful conversation on purpose, on trailblazing and how lonely sometimes the path to building a career around your purpose and around your passion can be. We talked about success, identity, who are you? We also talked about fears. It's such a profound conversation. When I was editing it, I was just like, oh my God, it's so refreshing to have these convos. Before we get to 100 African stories, here's a random convo. Random convos on Legally Clueless. So I've just shared how we met Eric. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you remember much about that day and that entire trip, actually. Yeah, uh, we were down at Formula One in uh, Monaco, was it? I didn't know much about Formula One, but there was lots of great parties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you. I didn't know much about Formula One either. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have a blast. We met at that party and I, I remember we spoke a bit about 
Africa on that day, we didn't really talk about what we do and like our careers. So maybe you could break that down for the Legally Clueless listeners. Who is Eric Underwood? Sure. So I am from Washington, D.C. originally, and I am a ballet dancer. So I dance with uh, numerous companies. I dance with the Dance Theater of Harlem, American Ballet Theater, and then I'm probably the most known for dancing with the Royal Ballet here in London. I was a soloist there. And now I'm acting. I was actually in the um, movie Cats, which didn't go down very well in the cinema. But yeah, it was a good experience. I was so proud of you either way, (laughs) Eric. How did you get into ballet? What is the very beginning of that? So I am from very humble beginnings. We didn't have lots of money in my family. And my mother, well, where I lived, we had a school that was a our local school and you just went to school based upon the neighborhood that you lived in and that neighborhood didn't have a lot to offer and nor did the school besides joining ROTC which was preparing you to go into the army which I had no interest in. My mother uh, decided I was an actor. She can be quite pushy and she sent me to an acting audition to go to a performing arts school and I uh, was rejected immediately during the audition. They said, I forgot my lines and they said no I'm sorry thank you and I walked out. I saw a couple of girls stretching before their dance audition. I had never danced a day in my life, but I knew my mother was sitting in the car and she was going to lose it when she heard I didn't get accepted into the acting school. So I just walked into the dance audition with those girls wearing like jean shorts and a baby kid t-shirt. I'll never forget it. And they were all trained dancers, but I said to the teacher, if you show me, I can do it. I felt quite confident because uh, that had been instilled in me from a long time before. And they took me on a probationary level. And six months later, I was living in ballet boarding school. That was it. Yeah. And the rest is history. I became a ballet dancer. It's so interesting how sometimes I have these conversations with my best friend about does your papas find you or do you find your papas? And I feel like this it's like your papa's found you by force. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> In those early days, what would you say was kind of moments that validated you that you felt like, yes, I'm actually in the right space. I'm in the right path. Were there things that happened that kind of reduced your self-doubt about pursuing ballet? Well, initially, being a boy who danced, I found it really difficult. I mean, the first couple of months, you know, I was an American football player before that, but I wasn't very good. But I had all my friends from the team and they were going, oh, where are you going? And I was going to ballet practice. And then they started to tease me and it was terrible. And I just felt quite uh, defeated. And then after that, there was sort of a turn of events where I started to become uh, quite known for being a really good dancer. And then I would walk through school and people would be like, ah, ain't you that dancing boy? Ain't you that dancing boy? And that sort of became my sense of identity. Okay, wait, I went from this sort of anonymous person into being known for being that dancing boy. I felt like it validated me in some sense. It gave me a sense of purpose. I was no longer afraid of being teased or, uh, yeah, just not feeling like I was celebrated as a person. I had I had something that made Eric special. He was a dancer. I mean, it's very difficult because ballet is predominantly white. And when I say predominantly, I would say 98%. So um, there was also a lot of culture shock that went into that experience as well, because I grew up in an all black neighborhood. And all of a sudden I was thrown into a space where uh, that dancing boy was the black guy. And I would often have to look around for the black guy because that had never been my point of reference because everybody around me was black. So I never even thought about it. It's it's so funny here in the podcast. I always say how it's interesting how our human journeys are very different, but very similar. I remember when I was in high school, 
I went to high school in Botswana. I found that there's a more pronounced racial tension. In Kenya, that wasn't really the case. So here in Kenya, I was in the swimming team and black people and black kids swimming was not, it was not out of, out of this world. Yeah. It was normal. My entire swimming team in primary school was like black girls. Cause I went to a school that predominantly had black African students. But yeah. when we would go in and compete with other schools in Kenya, they would be white kids and whatever. And so it was not a big deal. But then I went to Botswana and I was the only black person on the school swimming team exactly and you know when you'd win they'd give out the medals and stuff during assembly and all the black kids would like get up and be like yes 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 and i remember telling my aunt i'm like i don't even think they're clapping for me i think it's like much deeper you <laughs> <Absolutely>. know <laughs> yeah. so, but um did you have any moments where because i had a moment where i felt like quitting specifically because of being discriminated against because i was the only black girl on the swimming team i think i definitely did initially face a lot of discrimination and as i was saying when my identity became the the, the black guy i found it very odd and also too you know ballet can be quite elitist people that come from lots of money often do that the tuition is very high and i found myself living in a ballet boarding school with people that were much more well off than me financially and i felt quite defeated by that because everyone had great clothing and, and they could go out and do things i just couldn't afford to do i mean i was working at reebok sports club from 6 a.m until 10 p.m giving out locker room keys and then rushing off to ballet school whenever Everyone else was resting before they started, but I needed money so that I could eat and do things and I didn't have that family support. I think what it did was it made me incredibly competitive because ballet is very like a physically tangible. So I thought, okay, well, if I'm in a class with people and I'm the only black person, I can maybe put my leg higher. Maybe I can turn around more. Maybe I can jump a little higher. I need to be actually better just so that I can be on an equal playing level with these people. So I found that it made me incredibly competitive. I come from a household where my mother really instilled in me, you are the best thing since sliced bread. So I didn't have any confidence issues in the space. When people would say racist things and everything, I always felt like, oh, wait, they're mistaken. They just don't know. I'm actually really great because my mother beat that into me. High five to your mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I also want to explore the issue of masculinity. That's a huge conversation. What an African man should be, what a black man should be, and what a man should be in general. Yeah. Did you have moments where you had to defend your identity and say, hey, look, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't subscribe to what you're saying. I, I, I just am. Yeah, I definitely had those moments. For me, it was a bit of a double-edged sword because when people would, you know, you think of typical masculinity, they think of a, a strong man and particularly black men have to be super strong. And I think having that was very difficult for me emotionally and sometimes might have even worked to my benefit because I was stronger than most of the guys in my class. I was physically stronger, but that had nothing to do with me being black. That had everything to do with me wanting to work very hard and, and, and pushing myself to the very end. To be honest with you, when it comes to uh, masculinity within the black community, particularly in America, there's so much pressure to be super macho and kind of hip hop and all these things. But because I was removed from that environment and I was now the only black person in the ballet school, I was so isolated. Almost 
weren't those expectations because I was just so incredibly foreign. And I think that a lot of white people didn't know how to even relate to me. And I'm not sure how I felt about that as a child. I think I probably felt like, wow, I've escaped this sort of toxic masculinity, but I'm in never, never land where no one relates to me. No one actually um, engages with me on a personal level like that. And so it, I, I felt quite isolated. Even today, I'd say I feel quite isolated. I don't feel like there are that many people I can look at and say, oh, we've had really similar experiences. I relate to you when that comes to masculinity or how you define yourself as a man. I feel like I'm trying to figure it out. It comes with trailblazing. You're creating the path for others, yeah. which is beautiful and it's commendable. But then the pressure that comes with that is it you're so alone. Absolutely. You're so alone. I always had the fear of, you know, chasing success. I've always been incredibly driven and wanting to achieve, achieve, achieve. In these achievements, I found that it took me further and further away from my family. So I moved to ballet boarding school. I was no longer living with my family. And then I left. I moved to London. I'm no longer with my family. Everything I do seems to get me further and further away from my family. But in the public's eye, I'm achieving these great things. But I'm achieving them in a predominantly white world, which is pulling me further and further away from my roots, which I already barely know anyway. I, I think I am fearful of how I measure success now, especially with everything going on in the world right now. I've always measured success by having very tangible achievements, but I'm reevaluating that. And maybe success is, is having time with your family and, you know, not achieving all these things and sitting in a room alone with lots of trophies. I'm not sure that's the goal. So I, I fear, I fear becoming very successful and alone. That's uh, 2020 is just a reminder of like what's really important. Like when I'm chasing for something career wise, or if I'm stressed about something, especially around building my own business and being a freelancer and having this media thing that I'm doing. Yeah. This year, I've learned to step back and just be like, whoa, 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 what's really important in this moment? Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> For me, it has really just become life and moments of actual, real present living, which happens mostly around the people that you love, right? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I completely identify with you on that. I was on tour in Italy dancing and I was the only black person. And basically, I had gotten comfortable with buying makeup from a shop and then putting it onto my white ballet shoes so that they could match my feet because everyone else's shoes match and our shoes are meant to match as an extension of the line. And in this small town in Italy, I ran out of the makeup and I had no more. And the shoes were there. I had a performance and I was freaking out going, oh God, this is going to look terrible. I went onto Instagram and I had quite a following. I didn't really think much of it. And I said, you know, if there is a ballet company that will make a range of flesh tone shoes so that they aren't just all for white people, I'll love you forever. And I got back a response from a Russian company that said, why don't you just wear black, which was incredibly ignorant, but uh, to be expected. I got another response from another company that said, Block, said, look, we love your talent. We'll make a shoe with you. And so I went in when I got back from that tour, we sat down and we made a range of shoes for Black people that they called Eric Tan, which in that moment, I didn't even realize 
I just knew I didn't have shoes that were the right color. I didn't really realize how profound or big this was. And then I started to get messages from Christian Louboutin and everyone saying, look, this is amazing. We're going to start to do a larger range of flesh tone because it should be inclusive. And I hadn't really even thought about it because for me, it was very normal to just adapt myself to everyone else and paint my shoes secretly in a corner and no one had to know about it. And I realized that sort of sparked something in me where I thought, okay, Eric, you know, it's great to chase ballet and this is a very selfish career, but you've achieved it. And so now maybe it's time to uh, give back. And so I started to go out and do lots of um, ballet programs that were just based on trying to be more inclusive. And so I would go out into neighborhoods where they wouldn't have known about ballet because it's not on radar for a lot of people. So I went out into these neighborhoods and I, I found students and just introduced it. And then if you could find the talent, then they can become a great dancer and we can change the fact that there's only one or two Black ballet dancers. I made that my mission to go out and just make it much more accessible to people of color, black people. Oh my God, the, that bit about the shoes. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. And it's almost like, you know, you have that aha moment where you're like, actually, why was I adapting and changing things? You know, in the moment yeah. you're just doing it yeah. because you yeah. have to get it done and yeah. you have these performances and you just have to do it. But now it's like, oh my God, it doesn't have to be this way, guys. Like, <laughs> We deserve yeah. to 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 be included. Now they're making them for women as well. So it really sparked a big change in the ballet world that I didn't even realize in that moment. There's been a lot of pushback, but I'm I'm comfortable with having the debate because for me the numbers are clear. There just aren't enough black people in the ballet world. So I, I'd like us to talk about identity. What role do your roots play in your identity? You know, it's interesting. When I moved to London, I went out with a friend of mine who's also another African-American and we went to a Jamaican restaurant here and the waiter was there and he was Jamaican and he said, where are you from? And I said, oh, Washington, D.C. And then he said, oh, where are your parents from? And I said, uh, North Carolina. And then he said, no, 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 but where are they from? And I said, I, well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know any further back than that. And I think he took it quite personally offensive, whereas America has such a history of slavery that I really have never been able to reach back to my roots. So I haven't known what that is past the second generation. And recently I did a uh, ancestry test to, to actually find out what my roots were. And it came back and it, it's quite spectacular because I'm very m mixed with these African countries. I mean, I have it listed here. I'm apparently 20 7% from Cameroon, the Congo, and Western Batu, 20% Nigeria, 17% Malay, and then a place called Bini and Togo, I'm 10%. And then you have Wales, Scotland, England, 2% Senegal, and 2% from the Ivory Coast and Ghana. But I haven't had the opportunity to travel Africa outside of South Africa, which was a very interesting experience. We you know, in school, we had African studies. We would take that maybe, I don't know two hours a year or something. I don't know anything. I'm, I'm completely ignorant to what my roots are. So I don't know anything about those cultures or who shaped me or, or how I got there or, you know, I don't know anything at all. I went to South Africa and, you know, I had an interesting conversation because I was listening to, I was on a photo shoot and I was listening to an R&B singer named Jahi. And there was a guy from production, a black guy, African. He said, what are you listening to? And I said, oh, Jahi, you've never heard of him. And he said, no, 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 we have heard of him. I know him. In fact, the African-American culture has ruined us. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's interesting. Please tell me how. 
And he said, you know, I'll go back to my township and people have Air Jordans and satellite TV and nothing to eat. And that's something that we're mimicking from the culture that you come from. And I felt so embarrassed and I felt like he was probably incredibly right. And it's true, like where you look at the content we consume, the music we consume, a lot of it is from the outside coming in. So for example, in music, so there's a push for let's have more Kenyan music on TV stations, radio stations, instead of consuming so much from the outside. Yeah. Because then it forces like the local musicians, well, not forces, but some do feel like they need to conform and start singing in an, you know, American way. Sure. Um, talking about American brands and like all of those things that we didn't grow up knowing. Yeah. Because that's what's playing. Their end game is it's a means to an end. I want airplay. Do you resonate with a lot of African music? I think it's a search for identity. I and mean, mm-hmm. you know, in this era of Trump and all of these things with so much division happening, I feel like black people are outside of the continent are searching for identity. Because I don't think that people, I mean, I can speak for myself, outside of the continent have that feeling. You know, I have Italian friends that are incredibly patriotic about Italy. I'm not that patriotic about America. That's never really felt like home. I live in London. That doesn't really feel like home. I don't think there is a sense of foundation for myself. There isn't. And so often we turn to to culture for those things. So, you know, you look to music or to clothing and you're, you're trying to relate and you're trying to reach out and grab something that makes me feel more African because I've only heard about it. The other day, it was the first time I've ever had jollof rice. And that's simply because I was like, ah, oh, Nigeria, I'll go on to, and I went and I looked and I have a friend and she said that her father was a quarter Nigerian. So I called her and asked her, oh, what should I eat? And she said, ah, oh, try jollof rice. It was delicious. But I had to call someone who's a quarter Nigerian to ask what to eat because I had no understanding of the food even. It can make you feel quite not knowledgeable about something that makes you who you are. Yeah. So I've been specifically to Accra, which is capital city of Ghana. In Accra, there's a castle. It's called the Osu Castle. It's where a lot of the slave trade was happening. So first, it's this beautiful, bright white castle on the shore. At the bottom, there's like an underground tunnel where slaves were transported for kilometers underground so they didn't even know they were below a castle then there's this door they would go through which was the 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 point of no return or the door of no return and it was like one of the key slave trade bases being in those spaces it was heavy it was emotionally heavy even if you had one drop of african blood in you it was heavy because you knew especially for those who are people of african descent you knew this was probably the closest to potentially your roots (laughs) that you'd ever get and it's such a vile such a vile space for me i realized i learned a lot of kenyan history but i didn't learn a lot of african countries history right which, of course, we can thank the colonialists for yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in trying to divide Funny us. That. They didn't, yeah, <laughs> they didn't, they, we didn't get to learn about each other because then it would make us stronger. And when I'm traveling, I'm often the minority. I'd love for once in my life to be in a space where I'm in the majority. That's never happened. Even when I went to South Africa, I was on a photo shoot with a Swedish brand. So I was there and I spent 99% of the time with Swedish people. 
nothing against them. But nonetheless, I've never seen Africa. I've never felt that camaraderie. I'd love to learn more. We've spoken about that. I'd love to have a sense of identity with Africa, a much stronger sense of identity. And the world is, the world that I live in is pushing me in a different direction. And it's really important to me to find some, some foundation. I'm not sure when the next random convo will be, but I hope you enjoyed this one. Ah. So many things to think about around fear, success. I'm always asking people, what's your definition of success? And feel free to share your definition with me, either in the comments or on our Insta page, which is at Legally Clueless Podcast. In fact, I think I'll ask the question there as well. I don't know why I have never done that. So I will also, in the description of this episode, put links to Eric's social media platforms so you can get to interact with him. He's really such a good soul. I'm so fortunate to have met him. And I think that's one thing I love about traveling is I make so many friends randomly. And so now we need to go into 100 African Stories, which is a very interesting story about a very peculiar relationship. And it's a story by Billion. 100 African Stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. My name is Billion Ojiwa. I'm from Nairobi, Madare, Kenya. When I was in high school, I was seriously in a relationship with this woman, this amazing woman that I thought would be my everything. Uh, I introduced her to my grandparents. She was part of the family. Everybody knew her. And I think I was also part of her family on the other side. So we went to Form 2, we went to Form 3, we went to Form 4. It's because, you know, those old days people would get into serious relationships very early. And I'd seen even my uncles getting married early, uh, as early as 18, 19. So... So as a firstborn and after losing my parents, I wanted to set a base for my brothers and sister. And I thought what would happen is if we have a, if they have somebody they can call a mother, not just a mother, but somewhere to come to. Because as a bachelor, I knew it would be hectic. So we went to Form 2, Form 3, we went to Form 4. Then now after high school, when you came to Nairobi now after school, so things happened when we were in school. You know, there was those instances where people were getting leakages and when we were getting, because I had cousins in Nairobi, I would get some papers or some clues and stuff and I would share with this girl because I loved her so much and I, I wanted, I just wanted things to happen. So so things happened, I think, in our school. Uh, the results did not go well, maybe because all of us were sharing what we, we had gotten. <laughs> but for her, it worked well. So so she got the grades to go to uni and, and me and I remember when we were receiving the results, we were at the same place. We were at, I went to her mom's place and we were sending messages and you know, I was so excited. I knew that, you know, this one, I, I am hacking. So she sent hers first. I think she got a B plus and I sent mine and I was nowhere, anywhere close to a uni grade. <laughs> you know, I, I resent again to just to confirm and it was so, so I accepted my results, but, uh, but I still thought that we could work out things. So knowing that I could not join university, I, I just, I did the transition so quickly and, and started hustling. I remember my first job was to market uh, the, the promotions. So I would go to roundabouts, we give flyers, mm. and at the end of the day, you're given 300 bob, which accumulates, then you're giving at the end of 
end of the month. So she managed to go to uni. So one of the unis in the sides of Nyaururu. So I had a, a cousin sister who <coughs> who is, lives in Akuru and she, she knew how I love this woman. So um, after going to uni, you know, the communication started to break down. You know, I would call, she would not call back, would try to communicate, she would not, it would not happen. So so my cousin, we were super, super close. We are still super close. So she'd tell me like, yo. So, you know, I didn't have parents. So there was no any other plan. So for me, my only hope was to go to uni and continue with my education. So when uh, when that plan did not happen, so I had to, you know, look for an alternative. So so while I was hustling, I was saving. I, I loved my grandmother so much. <clears throat> we were super, super, super close. So every Christmas I would go home to, to visit. So I'd made a plan to... I saved for two months when I was doing the job, walking from Isili, where I was living with my auntie, to Wilson Airport, where the, the company was based every day for two months. We come get materials, then you know, it used to be funny, they would ask you where you come from. They wanted to know if you're passionate about the job that you're doing, the, the promotion job. So Chris, who was my boss, would send me to, to the Globe Roundabout, where the people from my area uses. So it was really hard. Yeah, so after saving, I was making plans to now go visit uh, my girlfriend in school. So my plan was to visit the girlfriend in school. I didn't not completed uh, paying the school fees so I didn't have my certificate so I'd saved enough to go clear my balance in school get my certificate and I also wanted to surprise my grandmother so I went to Sili bought a nice dress for her just to take for her yeah so I went to Sili bought my grandma a nice dress you know so I had planned for everything that I'd saved. After that, I planned with my cousin who was married now. She was in Akuru. So to pass by her place on my way to Nyaururu to see my, my, my then girlfriend. So when I went, you know, I'd done shopping. I knew she was in school, did shopping. And, and when I passed by my cousin's place, she, she just laughed. She said, eh, now Sishtuke, don't, don't be surprised. <laughs> So, so I went in the evening, you know, I was planning to spend, so there were so many things in my mind, the plans that I'd made, <laughs> how it's going to be an awesome weekend. <laughs> so I left Nanyaururu, and, and it was the first time, you know, that I was traveling. I, I just uh, thought how that road would be, and you know, she told me to just come. So I went to Nakuru, to Kamatatu, to Nyaururu, it was an awesome trip. So when I got to the school, uh, she was waiting for me, she took me to the dorms, I left the shopping, and then she said, you know, I have a surprise for you. Ask what is the surprise? These are her, her words. She said, you know, I, I have been thinking about this, and I think we are in different levels in life now, and I, I don't think that we can continue having a relationship. And I, I'll, I have a boyfriend. So, so she took me like, I, I want to introduce you to my boyfriend. And that is why I even invited you so that you can know each other. But don't worry, I have plans for you too. So, <laughs> so, so I, since I was already inside the school, so we went to the basketball court. Yeah. The boyfriend was a, was a basketballer, you know. <laughs> and I had nothing to compare myself with him. You know, he was good, wearing, you know, he's tall and all that. So he introduced us, hey, oh, my ex-boyfriend and my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, so so after that, you know, the boyfriend continued playing. So in my mind, I, I didn't even know what to do. 
I I was trying to think, I was trying to imagine so many things. So it was around five, six ish. Then now when we were walking back, she said, you know, I'd made plans also how you will sleep. So I'm gonna I'm going to introduce you to some guys, you will spend the night with them. <laughs> then then tomorrow morning we can see how you can get back now. You know, it was so heartbreaking. I, I, I think for for once I, I I lost everything. So I said, no, I, I can't sleep with the people that I don't know. So around 7, it was late for me to travel from, again, Nyaururu to Nakuru that night. So I called my cousin <laughs> to explain to her what happened. <laughs> you know, she laughed until I disconnected the phone. <laughs> it's like she knew what was happening and she had not told me. So, so I went to Nyaururu town. I think that is one of the longest nights that I've ever had. I went to a lodging. I paid for a lodging. And when I went to the lodging, you know, the, the steamer went. The lights, <laughs> the lights went. So I was trying to cry. I was trying to look at myself. But, you know, it's dark the whole night. But I, I, I said I don't want a relationship after that. So from there, I think... I stayed for four years or so without getting to any relationship. I would see a woman, I would think about what happened to me. I, I, I don't complain. I think it helped me to build focus on myself, I, to build myself more. Until there's a day, you know, every Christmas we would travel to the village. And when we travel to the village, all the cousins come. They come with their wives, they come with their girlfriends and, and stuff. So there's one day, so my aunties have been having these conversations behind the scenes. They didn't know what happened to me because I don't share much. So so there's a day we went to see my aunties. Kumbe, my cousins uh, have been having this conversation, so they're just waiting for me. So when I go to the house, people started eating, and they started like, oh, you know, the vijanas will eat last. So even there's some of my cousins that are way younger than me, but have wives and have children. So, so I, you know, I felt a bit provoked. Kumbe, that was just the beginning of the real provocation. <laughs> but uh, so they we sat down and uh, after eating my my auntie said you know billion we've been thinking about you and we we've been at some point I've been thinking of even organizing a woman here and sending her to Nairobi so that you can have somebody if 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 that is the problem <laughs> you know it sounded so funny but I I could relate I know auntie uncles that have seen their wives for the first time when they came to Machakos. <laughs> so I was imagining that happening to me. Yeah, then, you know, what broke me more was, she was like, you know, even if you bring us a man, we will help you to love. Sisi, tutakusaidia kupenda tu. Ule mutuatuletea, we will just help you to love. I looked at everybody was having a family in that table, in that room. And uh, I said to myself that when I get to Nairobi, I'm going to make sure that I have a wife. I even wrote a list when I was leaving home, coming to Nairobi, of my friends, girlfriends, friends who are women, female uh, friends, who have a child. So I, I didn't want to start from scratch. <laughs> so I went, I went for a date with a couple of, of them, just trying. But it was not just working for me. But I didn't want also to be, you know, the reference point when, you know, when aunties, uncles are talking about people to emulate uh, the examples, to have me as a bad example to those young people. It changed how I look at women, and I'm so happy that, you know, at the end of it, I got somebody that, you know, understands and loves me, uh, and we love each other. I don't love, I don't like revenging, but I, I kept uh, in touch with the, with the woman, just to know how she's doing in life. <laughs>
but uh, yeah, I'm so happy for her. I I am still a friend of the family. I don't regret. I think she was right, and 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 maybe if I I. I, I would have continued I would have not been the person I am today I would have you know invested my energy my time my everything into that relationship but now I directed that energy to somebody somewhere else uh, just trying to be a better person just trying to yeah just trying to be to be me yeah she, she's, she's doing well we are we are friends if I raise it up I think it will feel like maybe I'm bragging because she's not married they they're still dating the basketball guy yeah so so I feel maybe it will look like maybe it was a competition so I was trying to compete with her or something so I've not raised it yeah, yeah but I, I I just wish her well at some point in life I, I really wanted to uh, do a bad revenge I just wanted to revenge but I I talked to a couple of guys who said you know what uh, you you are sorted but uh, yeah as much as we say there, there are no standards relationships have standards like like women want the best for for from men they are dating so so it taught me to you know for me to be in a good relationship or to get somebody that i deserve i have to work so hard on myself yeah so so that is but doesn't mean that there are relationships that are you know opposite what i went through and the people who are in in love my my wife has masters and i i am i'm yet to graduate <laughs> i'm still struggling with the school <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I i think it's just also the mindset the the confidence and 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 the women who looks at you know the potential in someone they also men who looks at the potential in others but they also people who looks or wants ready made i would even go for dates i would see women and and feel like you know i am not man enough like you know i am not handsome enough or i don't have enough to to have them and even now starting a conversation even with women i have to look i think that's why i try to dress well a lot <laughs> so that i cover the <laughs> this team yeah so my wife complains that i i shop a lot i can't see a good thing and and leave it's because of the thing that was planted in me when i looked at that guy he was he looked you know uh, well organized you know having things in place so i'm still struggling with that yeah so so those are the things that happened to me so i would get a woman uh, we would start dating but at some point there's a point i went to a, a lady's house you know i looked at my house and her, i compared she looked so organized then i i took automatically disqualified myself that you know she i think she's ahead of me nothing can happen between us i i think internally one one thing that i do is i i try to pray a lot and and meditate before i make any move you know with the self esteem you know with the background the poverty background there are so many things apart from the relationship that you know has tied me to a corner that makes me feel like you know this is where you belong so i try to pray a lot so every morning every evening before i sleep and every morning i have to to pray and just make sure that my day is okay so those are some of the ways that i try to to fight it but it's there it's it's not just the relationship also the poverty background you know it pulls you when you see awesome things you know some application you know you look at yourself you say i don't qualify yeah so when sometimes i see application i just disqualify myself i say you know i i don't think i am 
I am I am good enough. So so that is the question that I I came up with the with the slogan impossible not. So that is what drives me out of that that zone. But normally even before I say impossible not to myself, I would question if I really I really qualify if I really belong to that circle. And what I tell I tell guys including my younger brother, my last born brother, you know, I tell them you know, the self-esteem cannot come from somebody else. It, it is you to own it and the best way to own it is to uh, work on yourself so work hard men we don't have any other thing it's just keeping working hard so that is one and then the two is work on yourself your appearance make sure that you look good at all times sometimes it not it doesn't cost much but you know that that even if you are weak inside that gives you the small confidence that you need to make the step so uh work hard dress nice smell nice if you can <laughs> if you are kept when you drink the local brew and you are kept you know it kills you even more so the best way when you are at a corner where you feel weak when when men are when men are standing then the best way is just to work on yourself yeah but i i I think most men are battling with their self-esteem but if you think deeply about them there's something attached to it catch more african stories in the next episode of legally clueless you honestly have to commend his (laughs) ex-girlfriend for her honesty and her transparency (laughs) to introduce her outgoing boyfriend to the incoming one like that is i'm sorry billion it's it's well you could hear me in the background (laughs) i cracked up i was like what i did not expect that's where the story was going but billion is the founder of the billion music family and also the founder of feature uchi initiative so remember I think you've heard him on the podcast before when he came on to share how you could help families in Mathare get access to food and other essential items when we initially went into lockdown. He's still even carrying on that campaign to date. He does amazing work in Mathare and he's somebody who has been such an advisor for me, especially when it comes to the work I do in my NGO, which is the Adele Onyango Initiative. You just have no choice but to admire his drive. Do remember that you too can share your story on this podcast. All you have to do is record a one minute story demo and send it to the Legally Clueless hotline number. So your story demo is just you telling me a bit about the story you want to share. It'll probably take me about a week to get back to you. And once I do, we'll set out a date and time when we can virtually record your story. Oh, so the podcast number. (laughs) I forgot to share it. It's in the description of this podcast episode, but it's plus 254-768-628-790. So literally, wherever you are in the world, you can just send the story demo on WhatsApp. Just use your voice note feature. Also, I'd love to hear from you if there's a song you want to recommend, like earlier in this episode, or maybe there's an episode you listened to that you 100% related with. Hey, Adele just done listening to the latest podcast episode that you've heard about Olande and I am it's so interesting that I can relate to her on so many levels like being the that it girl the girl that's always the go-to you know for friends for leadership the one that's always confident and everything but then always being dealt with an underhand when 
it comes to relationship and stuff maybe because it has always been thinking why am i almost always the side chick like am i exhibiting such pick me behaviors that i am almost like almost always the side the one they want after they have you know the other one but i think i had a conversation with my friend and i not put so much pressure on myself for that and yeah it has been like a very relatable episode and thank you for sharing all that you share thank you so much for sharing that and it's so interesting you bring up that convo because i've had that conversation with a friend where you don't want to get stuck in the rut of blaming yourself for always ending up as somebody's side chick and at the same time you're trying to wonder but why is it always me so i I completely get where you're coming from maybe i need to look for somebody to tell a story about that Hmm. (laughs) Food for thought. So, of course, there are new Legally Clueless podcast episodes every single Monday. But also, this podcast plays on Trace Radio in Kenya. So, if you go to traceradio.co.ke, you'll be able to see all of the different frequencies of Trace in Kenya. And you can catch the podcast there every Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 9am and at 8 that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode